Warning, this episode contains foul language and discussions on race and LGBTQA relations. for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week, I have the pleasure of sitting down with a friend and chatting about something weird, and this week is part two of our werewolf discussion. I'm joined once again by my handsome boyfriend, Joey, who filled in last minute for my co-host, Lauren, who I'm sure you dearly miss. I know I do. She'll be back next week, and I'm so excited. Also joining us again this week is my favorite Southern gentleman, Mr. Billy Roach. You met Billy when he came on to talk about vampires, and last week he taught us pretty much everything we know about werewolves. Dude loves his monsters. Last week was cuckoo bananas. We weren't even drinking alcohol. We were just that crazy. (laughs) But this week, we take it down. We get a little more serious. We talk a little deeper about our furry friends the were people. And this week I'm leading the discussion. We're talking about werewolves in pop culture, their portrayal in TV and movies, and the different ways they mirror society. We also end the episode with a quick discussion on skinwalkers. Oh my gosh, I love them. And Lauren and I feel like total crazy people because we swore up and down that we talked about Skinwalker Ranch on a prior episode, but we can't find evidence that that took place anywhere. So if you remember us telling you about Skinwalker Ranch, please let me know. If not, I'm going to be bringing it to this month's mini-sode with Miss Amy Hanselman. Next week, Lauren and I are sitting down with one of my favorite stand-up comedians. You may remember him from our Texas episodes, Justin Foster. And we're going to be chatting about personality disorders. Whoa, we are very excited and a little nervous to be diving into our first mental health episode. Okay, enough chit-chat. Let's get to the good stuff. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about werewolves and their place in pop culture. For me, the greatest thing about good horror movies, and unfortunately, uh, it's pretty lacking in in today's horror movies. Get Out was obviously one of them. The Babadook, things like that. But the social commentary, which was something that we had all through like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s. And then all of a sudden it was like, hmm. Jump scare. Jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. (laughs) Yeah. You can go back throughout history and look at different horror films and recognize like how it mirrors what was going on in the world at the time. Uh, Horror movies are a really good way to allow you to talk about things that you shouldn't be talking about or are uncomfortable talking about or like maybe even cannot talk about straightforward. 
So you talk about it in like a roundabout way. So werewolf movies throughout history are some of the best examples of this, which maybe that's why I love them so much. And like I was saying earlier, generally speaking, just as like a blanket over all werewolf movies and werewolf lore in general, it's an allegory or a legend to explain to explain the equal parts good and evil present in every single person. It's the duality of man. You know, during a certain part of the year or during certain moon cycles, inevitably a person becomes susceptible to shape-shifting, transforming into an animal or turning into some horrible fiend, just like there are times in our lives where we transform into monsters, whether it's through grief or hormones or mental illness or stress or a complete psychotic break. Whatever it is, there are times in our life where we we are the monsters. So I'm actually going to start with the OG werewolf movie, The Wolfman. The movie gave us a lot of the werewolf mythology that we have today that's like it cemented the stuff like the silver and the moon and everything. Something that actually I wanted to talk about. I'm going to be spending the most time on The Wolfman today because I just think it's really wonderful. And something I know a lot of people don't notice about The Wolfman is that even though we see Lon Chaney Jr. and all of that wolf makeup, in reality, he never actually transforms into the, a wolf in the movie. We are actually seeing the events through his eyes the way he envisions himself. So the screenwriter, who I'm going to talk about later, Kurt, uh, how do you say his last name? I pronounce it Seodmach. Seodmach? Yeah. That's how I, I pronounce it too, it but I was like, but... ah, fuck, I don't know. I don't want to be a bad horror movie fan. Yeah. But Kurt Siodmak, he he tried to emphasize this in the first scene. So in the very first scene of the movie, you see a close-up of the encyclopedia page, and it opens to the entry of lycanthropy, werewolfism, which describes the condition as a disease of the mind in which human beings believe that they are wolfmen. According to an old legend, which persists in certain localities, the victims actually assume the physical characteristics of the animal. Legend in that piece is like deliberately capitalized to kind of tell the audience, hey, what you're about to see is not extraordinary. Like what's happening to this man is not some mystical thing that's happening. This is something that happens to every person. Hmm, Interesting. And uh, this is a story where the people believe in the concept of a werewolf. This is not a story where that belief is proven to be real. And we know that because at no point in the movie does anyone point out like a wolf man. He's a wolf like that man is a wolf. The legends are true. Like he no one ever says that about him because they are not seeing what we are seeing. We are seeing how he perceives himself. Interesting. A rundown of the plot, just for people who don't know. Basically, Lon Chaney plays Larry Talbot, a man who returns home from America to Wales after his brother dies to reunite reunite with his father. And they reconcile, and he notices a girl named Gwen, who he ogles at through his dad's telescope, speaking of, like, predatory behavior. A, a, like, a he's guy, already, like... he Lauren ogles at? Oh. oh. We miss you, Lauren. <laughs> miss you, Lauren. Wish you were here. <laughs> Uh, anyways, he begins to court Gwen, and I say that that way because it was 1947, but he went from living in the city in America to the small European village that's almost like going back in time, and he finds himself very uh, emotionally unstable because he's vulnerable from the death of his brother um, and therefore susceptible to the superstitions of the village, of which there are many. 
He repeatedly hears an old poem in his head that haunts him. And the poem goes, even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf with the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. So originally it was the autumnal moon. In the later Wolfman films, because, of course, there were Wolfman Several, Returns, yeah. Wolfman blah, 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 blah. It turned into the full moon. So originally it wasn't even the full moon that brought about the Wolfman. It was the autumnal moon. Mm. Spooky Halloween moon. So at this point, the lead character, Lon Chaney's character, he's not familiar with the werewolf story, but he does find himself being drawn to wolves. Like he finds like a walking stick with like a wolf carved in the top and like... He really starts to, like, listen to, like, the lore in the village. He doesn't believe it, but he's interested in it. And uh, he and Gwen end up going with a friend to get their fortunes read by this gypsy. And while the friend is inside, uh, Larry and Gwen decide it's a nice night for a stroll. When really it's the foggiest, creepiest night in the history of mankind. Like, I don't understand. The, the movies were like, isn't it nice what's, out? Let's like go for a walk. What's I'm the like, problem with that? It sounds like my is, perfect night. This is a murder <laughs> night. If any night is a murder night, it's this night. So when they're on their way back, they see their friend getting attacked by a wolf man. And Larry beats him to death with his cane. There you go. There it is. Nine days water, nine days oil. <laughs> and Larry in the process, gets bitten. Now... The old gypsy woman, who is a firm believer in werewolves, explains that werewolfism will now plague him and that he will see the sign of the pentagram on his future victims. So you can watch the movie to learn what ends up happening. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I will. I want to discuss what the audience is shown in these scenes to kind of like drive home the fact that like he's actually not transforming into a wolf. It's something else is happening. There's some other commentary in this movie. So when they first come across their friend getting attacked, it's a wolf, not a wolf man. It's like a full on wolf. And when Larry's wrestling with the animal, there are several shots back and forth of this wolf. And that's a regular man. And then it's a wolf. And that's a regular man. And uh, his bite wound is conspicuously like healed in the morning. And he believes he's a werewolf because he believed that this man was a werewolf. And you could take that as like, oh, when you get bitten by a werewolf, you heal faster. Just like vampires. Like yeah. they they don't actually get injured. They heal right away. Um, but the director was actually trying to say like, no, he was never actually bit. He in his head convinced himself that he was bit by this creature and that he was turning into this creature. And the film is basically showing us the power of superstition. And um, throughout the movie, he never, again, he never appears as the wolf in public. He appears as the wolf man in one-on-one -on -one encounters only. And again, the people he attacks never say like, ah, wolf or anything like that to confirm that what they're seeing is a monster. And even at one point, he sees animal footprints going away from his home. But when he tries to show someone else, the evidence is gone. Like he can't actually prove it to anyone else what's happening to him. Because it's all in his it's mind. It's all in his mind. So again, the film shows us the power of superstition. Those who believe in lycanthropy can see the monster. And if a collective of people believe in the monster, it creates a kind of like mass hysteria. 
which is what's happening in this small European village. And if you throw in a person who is not a believer, but like emotionally very vulnerable, you can easily manipulate this person to believe in the monster, which is essentially what happens in like every single cult <laughs> ever. Like you get the most like emotionally vulnerable people possible. People looking for answers. People looking for answers or people who have been disowned by Structured their family. Community. Yeah. It's so much easier to um, trap them and make them believe things. So the movie was about duality and what can happen to us when we're at our most vulnerable. But it also has very interesting commentary on the Holocaust. This is another thing they talk about in what, um, what, what? Yeah, in the uh, documentary I told you about earlier. So the screenwriter, Kurt Siodmak, was Jewish. And he was born in Dresden, Germany. And he immigrated to England and then to the United States in 1937. He basically fled after Hitler and his Nazis were starting to get a little fucking scary. Like, he wasn't there for, like, the concentration camps. But he was like, things are getting weird over here. Like, I'm just going to get the fuck out. And he actually broke it down in an interview once where he said that he, like, as he, like, directed this and as he, he wrote this movie, he said that he was the wolf man. He said, I was forced into a fate I didn't want to be a Jew in Germany. I would not have chosen that as my fate. He actually said the moon in his film represented the swastika. He said, when the moon comes up, the man doesn't want to murder, but he knows he can't escape it. It's Wolfman's destiny to do so. Uh, the full moon mythology came from that poem he wrote for the Wolfman in this case. And ends with, uh, again, the autumn moon is bright, which turns into the full moon later in the films. He actually chose silver. He didn't know about that wolf that terrorized that village. Which one was that again? Uh, Dudon? 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 Yeah. Uh, he didn't know about that. He actually chose silver to be, in his movie, to be the bullets that killed the wolfman because of the Nazis and their obsession with silver. Interesting. And taking the silver and their like silver Nazi coins. What were those called? Um, with the swastikas on them and the little... Anyways. And he used the markings of the victims with the sign of the pentagram, which is very similar to the Star of David and directly mirrored the way that Jewish people were forced to we wear the yellow badges in Nazi Germany. And they were served to mark the wearer as a religious or ethnic outsider. It was often a badge of shame. And of course, within the future and future events became a mark of death, like certain death, if you wow. were wearing that. So that's what the pentagram and the wolfman was interesting about. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I thought that was great. I find it interesting also that the pentagram later made its way into other werewolf mythology as well. Yeah. And that's obviously where it started. Was the wolfman, yeah. but like... I mean, all, all kind of modern werewolf tales owe so much to the wolfman. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that you said there that I guess I didn't realize because I haven't watched the original wolfman in many years yeah so it's worth a revisit it is yeah. i actually i bought a like pack of old 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 horror movies and wolfman was one of yeah. them and i had actually never seen it until about probably like six years ago and it wasn't what i was expecting like at all it's a really great movie yeah it is it's i highly recommend film. it so I actually wanted to talk about just like breaking away from pop culture very quickly because I, I had to bring this up since we were talking about Nazi Germany and werewolves. Uh, we had to talk about Hitler's personal werewolves. Oh. So this isn't just a 
they make fun of it a lot. It was uh, one of the fake trailers between yeah. uh, Werewolf Women of Rob the SS. Zombie. Yeah, Rob Zombie, yeah. the Werewolf Women of the SS. Yes. Werewolf Women of the exactly. SS. Exactly. So that that's kind of a joke. Nicholas but... Cage is Dr. Fu Manchu. <laughs> Fu Manchu, the most racist portrayal in anything. <laughs> Possibly. Who else were you going to get but Nick Cage? Yeah. True. That was kind of based in truth. So near the end of World War II, Hitler had werewolves, which were German guerrilla fighters prepared to kill, in his own words, like this is who he told them to kill, the isolated soldier in his jeep, the MP on patrol, or the fool who goes a-courting after dark, the Yankee braggart who takes a back road. So I, I, I think you probably know something about Hitler's werewolves. You're a World War II buff. Yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I, I know it's, I mean, it's... It's easy to say on the, you know, as somebody who who didn't have to take part in that and who also gets to, you know, grow up in the side that won. But, I mean, this is good, like the definition of a madman grasping at straws. That's really what somebody, it was. The Yan- what is it? The Yankee braggart what? Um, the Yankee braggart who takes a back road. Yeah. It's basically like his idea of recruiting civilians to attack guerrilla warfare yeah soldiers well, yeah. i mean hitler speaking of like grasping at straws i mean he was very much deep into the dark arts very much anything so. that could help him win the war yeah, yeah. especially like towards the end yeah. when like we were closing in on them like he turned to the occult like he werewolves summoning to, demons exactly witchcraft mm-hmm. he, anything he could do fortune to telling win the war. he had his own fortune yeah. teller that would like go around with him it was the final months of World War II, and it was as the Allied troops were pushing deeper into Nazi Germany, and Hitler and his senior officials turned to the supernatural for their inspiration. Himmler was always into it, but Hitler started getting into the occult the, the more desperate he became. And they researched everything from the Holy Grail to witchcraft. And among these, Hitler actually loved werewolves. He loved the mythology. Big Lon Chaney fan. (laughs) Yeah, huge Lon Chaney fan. According to Eric Kurlander, who wrote the book, it's called Hitler's Monsters, A Supernatural History of the Third Reich, which sounds awesome. I might have to read it. The werewolf represents flawed but well-meaning characters who may be bestial, but are tied to the woods, the blood, and the soil. They represented German strength and purity against interlopers. Like, that's why Hitler had, whether he was aware of it or not, that's what a psychologist basically had to say about, like, why Hitler was so obsessed with werewolves. And it was an image that Hitler used repeatedly. One of his headquarters was called the Wolf Slayer. Yep. There was Operation Werewolf. Yep. Where uh, in October of 1944, a plan for Nazi SS lieutenants Adolf Prutzmann, 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 and Otto Stornsky. Mm, that one doesn't ring a bell. Okay, I'll take your word for it, though. They were to infiltrate Allied camps and sabotage supply lines with a paramilitary group, and it failed because at that point the Nazis were kind of a mess. Uh, but they tried again the following year, and it was much more successful. And beginning in early 1945, a national radio broadcast urged German civilians to join the werewolf movement, fighting the Allies and any German collaborators who welcomed the enemy into their homes. 
One female broadcaster said on air, this is what she said, I am so savage. I am filled with rage. Lily the werewolf is my name. I bite. I tear. I am not tame. My werewolf teeth bite the enemy. And then I die like a Nazi pig dog that I am. <laughs> that was Yes, that was her posthumously. Yeah. That's what she said. So most this German- is my Adam Goldberg moment too of the of the show where I grab the star of David around my neck and I go you then you then sorry for you saving Private Ryan fans yeah, out there you like that so most German civilians were fucking exhausted at this point and they were like I'm not no even yes. if I wanted to please no, I've had I enough I can't do it I just want to go back to work. And they weren't going to bother joining, but several hundred did. And they would act as snipers and assassins. They would keep weapons in like forests near villages so they could just run out and grab their weapons and bring them in and kill people. And uh, by 1947, the whole werewolf thing was pretty much over. But it caused several thousands of casualties, either directly or from reprisal killings. And today, ISIS fighters have been likened to Nazi werewolves. Uh, because of the way they attack in the small cells with specific targets and how they're civilians acting on behalf of, quote unquote, the cause. So they've actually been referenced as like, you know, Iraqi werewolves, which is nuts. But there are several other ways that pop culture has portrayed werewolves and werewolf transformations on a societal level. And one of my favorites is using it to represent puberty. That's one of my favorite werewolf tropes. And these movies usually examine werewolves through the eyes of an adolescent, most notably. Give me that Michael J. Fox. 1985's (laughs) Teen Wolf. Ow! And uh, in the year 2000, the movie Ginger Snaps. Remember Ginger Ginger Snaps? Snaps. Mm -hmm. I do not. It's great. It's It's good radio, right? Where I'm just like, no. No, (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Uh, Werewolves become an allegory representing themes of isolation, Sexual anxiety, teenage angst, and Bo- even body dysmorphia. I was, was going to say body hair. Yeah. Sprouting oh, yeah, of absolutely. pubic hair. When you think of how you feel, especially like as a young girl, but even a young boy, like when you start growing your body hair as a young girl, when your breasts start to grow, uh, or when you get your period, or as any young teenager, when you start breaking out, like you don't feel like a person anymore. You feel you're like, don't look at me like I'm a monster and your hormones are fucking raging. So you're a brat. Being a teenager is literally like a werewolf transformation. It's on interesting. Its own. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the really interesting things about Ginger Snaps, too, is it was really like an analogy for like getting your period. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, that time of the month she would become a werewolf. And yeah, it, was, exactly. it, was, it was a very it's a very interesting film and very underrated. Like if oh, you haven't seen it, like see it. Yeah. You yeah. should see Ginger Snaps. But not only that, your body literally like aches from growing pains. If you remember, do you guys remember growing pains? One of my fucking one of my, miserable. One of my best friends in high school, high school, which is similar to high school, he grew eight or nine inches his freshman year of high school. Holy shit! He went from being he started the year at he was like five foot four, and by the time the year ended, the school year, the school year, not even a calendar year, he was six feet tall. Jesus! And he was like not the least bit embarrassed to say that <clears throat> some nights when he would like lay in bed, he'd cry because his his bones and his joints, like his whole body, just hurt so badly every single night. 
because he was well, turning into Well, you think about like flight. stretch marks. I've had friends, especially taller friends, my friends that went above six feet tall, mm-hmm. who they weren't like, they weren't, they weren't big, they weren't overweight, but they just grew up so fast. They shot up so fast that they had stretch marks like underneath their arms oh, here. You, f- you feel like you're literally transforming wild. into a beast of some kind. Um, and you don't feel like you're in your body anymore. And um, there was also, I, I do want to hear your thoughts on Teen Wolf after this, but there's also uh, different forms of social commentary when it comes to puberty. There's a film called I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Heard of it. Mm-hmm, where the teenager in the movie is kind of like aggressive. He's hot headed. And when he transforms into a werewolf, he's obviously like very dangerous and violent. And uh, after there's like, there's a bloody rampage, he's shot by a pair of police officers and the movie reads like a cautionary tale. It reads like it was in the 19, 1950s. So it reads like keep your rebellious streak in check. Like kids, like this is what happens when you... When you listen to your rock and roll. Listen to your rock and roll. Smoke your jazz cigarettes. Like you're going to lose control. <laughs> but how dare you not like Teen Wolf? It's not that I don't like Teen Wolf. <laughs> Hold it's on, just we're that, both like, turning towards this you. Is, we gotta hear this. This is okay. the rest of the podcast. All right, just the, the, <laughs> the, the biggest problem I have with Teen Wolf is just like a, a good portion of that movie takes place on the basketball court and they just like, it's like the people who wrote, directed, and made that movie have never seen a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Like there are things that happen where it's just like, you're not allowed to stand under the basket and taunt somebody <laughs> while they shoot free throws. That's not how basketball works. But did you play basketball in 1985? I'm pretty sure you weren't allowed to do it in 1985 either. That's why I feel like Teen Wolf 2 is a far superior film. The wrestling is really authentic. Is it Jason Bateman? I've, Jason actually, I've never Bateman? seen it. I don't. It's I don't ever see it. Okay. I, I, I mean, I heard. I was like, if there were people like, if you don't like Teen Wolf, I don't know what you're thinking. No, that was Watch. a joke that played to no laughs. So uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure if, if I had seen Teen Wolf, the sequel, I'm sure I would have been I mean, cackling. your ire for Teen Wolf, why would you ever see Teen Wolf 2? Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I mean, I understand that it's not a movie about basketball, but I mean, you know. I mean, maybe you should watch the MTV remake. They play lacrosse. Oh, it's, it's definitely updated. That's yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. Do they, do they, you know, is it like lacrosse or is it like Quidditch? Do they fly around on broomsticks while they play lacrosse? Because that's that's almost the equivalent of the disregard of how the sport actually works. <laughs> So anyway, that's really yeah the 1985 Teen Wolf film with Michael J. Fox, the most perfect human that's ever oh, God, uh, existed. I love Michael J. Fox is a little too cheesy. I do wish that it had been because the transformation in that movie kind of fucking rules. Yeah, and he's remember. fantastic, and he's yeah. so he's charismatic good. as ever. He's wonderful, yes. and I love the idea of. Again, it's the teenage thing. He's hitting puberty, and that's when it comes about. It's like when his, you know, he he first makes out with a girl. He ends up scratching through her clothes on accident because his nails grow long. Uh-huh. So it's like a puberty thing. But I like that the the spin they take on it is that it actually helps him in high school. Yeah. Where instead of being like, oh also, god, that's don't a really look at me. tolerant high school. Yeah. It's true. They just accept a wolf man. It with must open be arms. that must be in California. Well, yeah. <laughs> that must be where that movie takes place. Well, their terrible basketball team started scoring, and they were going to nationals. So and they're like, "That's the it. That's man. all we care about. We this is this is high school." Yeah. Wasn't their uh, mascot the wolves too? I'd have to go back for a rewatch. I, I feel don't remember. like their mascot. Was, oh wait, no, their mascot were the beavers. I think. 
Still furry. Still yeah. very furry. I think one of the things I loved about Teen Wolf as like, I mean, I was a kid when I saw Teen Wolf, but the thought of like going through this kind of puberty in changing into a werewolf, that scene where he's in the in the bathroom and he's like, I don't know what to do. My body's changing. Who am I going to share this with? I can't. And then he opens the door and there's his dad. Also full, full wolf werewolf. man. He's like, this is something we all go through. Yeah. You know? So it let's was, have a conversation. It was, yeah, it was a fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it really is. good allegory. I, I really, I really do like that. His dad's like <laughs> knocking on the door. He's like, ah, uh, dad. Uh, just a second, dad. dad. Yeah. Ooh, I, um, really, I like yeah. that. I and just I, hear the fire in your voice. No, I really do like that. Yeah. That like is fine. That Let's not is talk great. about the basketball. Yeah. <laughs> that exists outside my issues with the film. <laughs> I was always like a really fucking joyless kid, though. (laughs) I was. I remember watching, uh, like, prime example. I think I might have even brought it up on an earlier episode. But just like watching a league of their own. I I was a big baseball player growing up. And I remember, you know, like Dottie Henson is like just the star of the league, right? You know, just can do no wrong. And like, no one's ever swung a baseball bat worse than Gina Davis. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we couldn't get this woman a hitting coach for like a week. You know what I mean? Where it's just kind of like, you're making a baseball movie. She's got to be able to swing a bat. But the funny thing is, this is me at eight years old, where I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? She she couldn't hit she couldn't hit a baseball bat with a with with five cricket paddles swinging like that. <laughs> this movie's terrible. But then you grew up like, and you realize that it's the greatest God, movie, this movie greatest so sports much. movie ever made. It really it's a, such a wonderful movie. And like aside from Gina Davis, there's some fucking great baseball that gets played in that Hell movie. Yeah. There is there's yeah. there's great slides, there's diving catches. I mean, they even you know the the women in that movie even pitch like people did in the 1940s with that big like exaggerated leg kick Wind and up. everything it's mm-hmm. awesome it's great so it just makes gina davis's performance just all the more glaring to a joyless <laughs> little shit like me <laughs> so anyway werewolves right, that's that yes werewolves so another social issue mirrored in werewolf movies and werewolves in film is race race and class especially in a lot of contemporary werewolf movies and books where lycanthropy has become genetic as opposed to spread via bite like teen wolf like teen wolf or like uh true blood or um i think i could be wrong but underworld are they bitten or are they just a species they're a species yeah okay yeah, because you never see anyone become thing. a werewolf. Yeah. In that. yeah, it's kind of the same thing. It's always like the vampires versus the werewolves. Yeah. They're seen as a race and a species, specifically in a world of supernatural creatures. There clearly stands in for real life marginalized race and ethnic groups. Hmm. I mean, if you look at True Blood, True Blood's really fantastic with this kind of stuff. The werewolves are seen as like smelly, white trash dirt poor but like a biker gang dirt poor they're no wear panthers yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah those mm. inbred pieces of shit <laughs> meth head meth head wear panthers yeah where my true blood fans at um, i'm with you but uh even to the human world who don't know that they're wear people they're still kind of like the biker gang that like hangs out at the bar and plays pool to vampires who see themselves as like the highest, like not only on the food chain, but like the highest just in regard of like general hierarchy in society, werewolves are like dumb brutes and they're physically stronger than, say, shapeshifters, 
Just toss or, a milk bone in the other direction. Yeah, they're and... intellectually inferior, basically. As much as I hate to even bring it up, the Twilight series does a pretty good job of it as well. The werewolves are actually associated with the, I wish I knew how to say this, is it Quillet? Quillet? The tribe? Oh. Which is an actual tribe in Washington. (sighs) Sorry. But uh, Stephanie Meyer's books have Bella visiting Jacob on the La Push reservation for like half the series. Like they are Native American werewolves. And they protect basically their reservation, but they are seen as like protectors of mankind. But there is still that kind of like werewolves are animals and vampires are, you know, refined. Werewolves, werewolves are below humans even. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to say that like, you know, the writers of like the Underworld series are like these great geniuses who are trying to talk about social commentary because we're into the third film by this point mm-hmm. where they kind of show that. That werewolves were slaves to the vampires. Yes. They used them as a brute force, uh, brute strength workforce. They protect them during the day because you have these werewolves who are chained up, constantly watched and guarded. And then you have these these rich white Europeans that they're protecting and working for. So, I mean, yeah, it kind of mirrors that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as, you know, metaphors for werewolves being the other, that also, I guess, lends credence to your point of the, the duality of werewolves and their existence. Because as the other, on the one hand, you can have that kind of like, oh, they're low class or, oh, they're, you know, really strong, but they're stupid. But at the same time, you also have the, the kind of inherent sadness that's built into werewolf lore where like the ostracization and the isolation and, you know, Depending on which side of the coin you're looking at, you know, they're either, you know, the other, but then when you go inside with the werewolves, you know, they're, they're sympathetic at the same time. They're sympathetic and they're, they're, you know, especially in pop culture, like werewolves are pack animals and they have like extremely strong bonds and they're, they, they're like a wolf pack. Like, you know, the way a wolf pack travels, how they have the weakest and oldest wolves in the front. Yes. Because the whole pack will not travel faster than their weakest and slowest members because they set the pace. And then the strongest are in the middle, right, I think? Or maybe in the end. I think the strongest are in the end. Yeah, the strongest are on the end and on the outskirts to protect the pack. But, like, wolves are very, like, beautiful, wonderful creatures. So if you look at it as a race thing, you know, as those the Jews or the the slaves. But like if you actually spent time with Jewish people or spent time with African-American people and learned their culture, it's like, oh, OK, they're very beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome, Joey. I was thinking of you that whole time. As soon wow. as I started dating you, I was like, I got myself a Jew. No one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> and he's not as bad as I thought he you would know what? be. You get in there and you kvetch a little bit and, uh, and you start to get it, you know? Um, okay. Another way to humanize werewolves is by linking shape-shifting creatures to disabilities, illnesses, mental health disorders, exclusion, and isolation the again. Other. Uh, the other this usually comes about by emphasizing the pain of werewolf transformations and also the shame of being a werewolf like vampires are very much like i mean i can't let everybody know but they still like puff out their chests and they're like i'm a fucking vampire werewolves do not werewolves are like nobody see me nobody look at me 
head I down. will be murdered. Yeah. Uh, well, a good example of this actually would be the Harry Potter series. This is what I was talking about. J.K. Rowling said that Remus Lupin, his lycanthropy represents HIV. And hmm. at first I was like, here we go again. Because I feel like J.K. Rowling, like years after the entire series was written, she just throws stuff in. She's like, yeah, he was gay. Yeah. And it's like, did you say he was, though? Because I feel like if you didn't put any of that in the story, maybe he wasn't. But this is actually really interesting. So Lupin's character, and again, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. I don't know a ton about it, but he's put one on of... The board. <laughs> Put him on the board. Oh, Your God. sister is screaming and punching through plate glass windows <laughs> right now listening for to years. this. Yeah, sorry. Lupin's character is one of the most beloved in the entire world of Harry Potter. Like he's he's kind of in he's a werewolf. I don't know if you knew that, Joey. No. Okay. He's a werewolf. And he's a very sympathetic character due to the violent nature of Rowling's werewolves. She made them very violent. There's nothing super glamorous about them. And Lupin especially highlights the problems by comparing marginalized identity with lycanthropy. It also examines the concept of passing by analyzing Lupin and other shapeshifters and the way they mask their werewolfism by maybe being an alcoholic or being addicted to pills or hiding the fact that you have this disease that's known as like a gay disease or something like that. Some people have a problem with the fact that he represents a person with HIV. The comparison can be kind of problematic, especially when you look at the way that her werewolves are portrayed. Some of them are just like embittered by prejudice against them, but a lot of them are just outright violent characters. The biggest issue is a character called Frenrir Greyback. Does that sound right? He's like a main villain werewolf. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to also admit that I am not a huge not Harry Potter. The biggest Harry Potter yeah. fan. I've read okay. like 3 of the books. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> because it gets really interesting. So, a werewolf, uh this guy intentionally hurts, infects and even eats children. He's also super inappropriate with like Hermione, for example. In a scene, he's talking to Ron. He refers to her as your pretty little friend and says, like, I'm going to get a bite or two out of her. It's very predatory, and especially an adult man saying that. It was thing actually to a, child. a commentary on Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Played by Harvey Weinstein, actually, in the movie. And the sexual undertones are pretty obvious. And if being a werewolf is parallel to being a person with HIV, then this would perpetuate the notion that people with sexually transmitted diseases are sexual deviants and rapists, which is not super great, J.K. Rowling. Werewolves also go after children because they think that if you bite them young, this is obviously in Harry Potter lore, if you bite them young, you can raise them to hate normal wizards, which perpetuates the false fear, like the false homophobic fears, like the conversion of straight children. Like if you get them, yeah, if you get them while they're young, you can turn them gay, which we know is not true. Of course, this can be seen as a warning about how discrimination can be extremely damaging. And it runs like this throughout the entire series. Despite Lupin being a hero, werewolves are still to be feared. So I can totally understand why some people have a problem with that interpretation. Mostly when you want to 
represent sexually transmitted disease via a monster, you go vampire. Yeah. That's a big one, especially like Anne Rice. When the movie came out, there was a lot of talk of, of AIDS specifically and the transfer of blood and the transfer of bodily fluids. Um, and that's and vampires are all about sex, whereas werewolves are mostly about eating. eating. You. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna eat you. So... <laughs> Those are the different ways that it's sort of represented in films. Can you think of any other ways that they're represented in films? Like Werewolves? Yeah, like how it mirrors what's going on in the I'm world. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the time, like with with like the really kind of subtextual metaphors like that, those typically have to be explained to me later on. People are like, oh, it's a commentary on this. And I'm like, oh, I just thought he was a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a very surface individual. There are some that are very obvious. Teen Wolf, very obviously a metaphor for puberty. Not for a kid. Really? For really? You th- you th- you thought it, you thought in metaphors when you were eight years old, or were you like he's a he's a wolf? He goes yeah. to high school. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like I watched Teen Wolf when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, werewolf. He's a werewolf. Like, <laughs> like no no kids are like actually it's a commentary. Um, <laughs> That's what I was thinking when we were talking about the whole Harry Potter thing. And like, I get it. If you're a member of the LGBTQ community and you hear the author of these talk about how like, oh, yeah, this is a commentary on such. I understand that you would have a problem with that representation, having you know heard from the horse's mouth that this is, in fact, a metaphor for that. But none of the kids watching Harry Potter are going to come up with True. that. And if they are, you need to take that kid and put them in a gifted school immediately. If they are. Because I got a pretty good score on the old SATs there. And I was like 16 years old and I was like, what's the metaphor? If your kids are like that, then they belong on the TV show Big Little Lies because those children those apparently children are know all everything. Savants, and they all have impeccable taste in uh, 1960s soul B-sides, apparently. <laughs> She's like, give me, give me a break. I just love these second graders. They're like, I heard he was a rapist. And I'm like, wait, huh? Yeah. Or like, this, what, like why, why do you know what that is? Or this like 11 year old girl who could probably lecture at length on like Sam and Dave's entire Soul Stacks catalog. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. All right. Okay. Big little lies. Before we move on, let's name our favorite werewolf movies. Oof. Teen Wolf. <laughs> I'm glad you said movies because I can't narrow it down to like, what's your favorite werewolf movie? Never gonna happen. I can give you, I can give you like a top three maybe, but I'll let everyone else go. I, I mean, you, you can let me go first because I'm like the, or the most unoriginal moment, person. Even. But I mean, I, 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 I'm so generic. American Werewolf in London. Yeah, but I mean, it's not generic. I, that movie is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's generic. It, it holds up. It's a fantastic film. The transformation alone makes that a top five. It's incredible, but that's also if somebody's like, who's your favorite band? And you're like, the Beatles. And they're like, well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) who who else? else? I mean, the the Beatles, I mean, the Beatles like American Werewolf in London, what it did for horror fans, you know, it's, it's legitimate. Sure. I won't, you know. All right. You guys, let's let's talk to the the real werewolf people. My here. favorite werewolf. Uh, oh gosh, this might be a spoiler, actually. Boop, boop, boop. But my favorite werewolf moment in film is Trick or Treat. Oh, yeah, Trick or Treat, fantastic. Female werewolf. yeah. werewolves, and the cool part about that is you can go if you watch it again. You watch it the first time, you go, what the fuck? You watch it again, and you can completely tell from the very beginning that they're werewolves. Yeah. They I love films like that where it just kind of like, catches you yeah. off guard. 
And then you you watch it a second time. You're like, oh, oh, fucking it's so clear. Trail of breadcrumbs yeah. throughout this whole. They're movie. They're literally talking in the dressing room about like eating Mexican food, but like they they say like, oh, that's the night I ate Mexicans. Yeah, like they say they're talking about eating people, but you have no idea until like the end of the movie, and then you're like, oh shit. I find that problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on the board. What's yours? Oh, one of my one of my favorites, and it was. I feel like it's become a cult classic and a lot of people love it now, but it kind of came out of nowhere when it did come out was mm-hmm. Dog Soldiers. Oh, shit. Dog, Dog Soldiers. Soldiers. Is fantastic. Yeah, that's a good one. Practical effects, like nine feet werewolves. It's just like, the things are monsters. Yeah. It's like that kind of, almost that kind of classic, like cabin in the woods, except they're surrounded by a family of werewolves. Yeah. It's just a beautiful film. Yeah, I like that one. With Have a sequel that's it? never going to happen. No. We'll watch it. Oh, no, it sounds Definitely cool. watch Dog soldiers. We'll watch dog soldiers. Fantastic. I liked, I liked what Underworld did for werewolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked that it kind of took it away from the full moon thing, and they could transform whenever they wanted just because yeah. of evolution. And I also thought it was kind of neat that this is the first time. It's, I mean, maybe not the first time. I could be wrong. I'm sure somebody will correct me. Uh, that werewolves were immortal on film. Yeah, probably. Think about it. Lucian was in the Dark Ages. And so was Ray's his right-hand man, mm-hmm. and here they are in modern day. So, obviously, these werewolves are immortal as well. So, their never-ending battle with vampires, you know, they've been fighting these this other race for thousands of years. So, I thought that was a, a fun aspect. I don't want to shift topic, but I'm going to shift topic. I have a question to ask. Okay. And this is technically for both of you, but I also think, especially given Billy's uh, vampire expertise... Might come in particularly handy, especially you you bringing up the immortal aspect of it makes me want to ask, is there anything to suggest or is there like conflicting ideology behind uh, an immortal vampire or werewolf becoming sick and tired of being immortal and just like calling their own shot? Like could a vampire theoretically end their own existence, just like fall on a stake intentionally could a werewolf you know i know silver is you know sometimes yay sometimes nay but like could a guy who was you know a, a are werewolf you asking if they can self-terminate self-terminate a hundred percent yeah yeah i mean it's like robots can't yeah right. it's i mean you, you get these uh especially in like vampires you'll get these characters who have been alive for so long all they want is to die Right. So they do it. I I've mean, seen that before, and I, yeah. I always think, again, being the joyless little shit that I've always yeah. been, it's like, just fucking kill yourself, dude. One of the, uh, one of the prime examples is in True Blood, mm-hmm. uh, Eric's maker. He's, he just stands on a rooftop and waits for the sun to come up. Yeah, and he's then, over it. And then he, he's just gone. He's over it. He's tired of living. He's tired of what people and vampires have become, and he just doesn't want to exist anymore. And this is someone who, in their prime, loved being a vampire. Mm-hmm. And he's just over it. So he six thousand years go by. Yeah, I think the the issues that vampires sometimes have, like the conflict, is that they know that they don't have a soul anymore. So there's no afterlife. There's no heaven or hell after that, and they know that being immortal they they have that knowledge there's no like what comes next there's no i know god will blah 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 there's nothing so i think that's the conflict especially with vampires that like when it's over it's over sure there's no soul ascending or descending like it's you're done forever 
And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of basis for werewolves, like for lack of a better term, self-terminating. Like they're a monster. They murder indiscriminately. So a lot of times they find their whole goal is seeking out a method to kill themselves mm. because they don't want what has happened to them to happen to other people. Sure. I mean, it's it's one of the main themes of uh, American, American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's like his friend who is haunting him as a ghost says, you have to kill yourself because if you don't, what has happened to me and all these other people you killed, we're just in limbo. You, if you kill yourself, we get to go somewhere. We yeah, don't have to. Yeah, their souls are like yeah. attached to the creature, um, yeah. and that's why, like at the yeah, at the end of American Werewolf in London, you know, he is the wolf, and he's surrounded by the police, and he basically like signals to the girl that's like standing in front of him, like move, like let yeah. them shoot me. Yeah, yeah. Like he wants to die, so he uses the police to do it. Cool. Thank yeah. you. So sad. Yeah. Thank you. It's <laughs> so sad. I have answers now. <laughs> I can sleep. Not the answers I want, but oh, I got them. Oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> okay, one thing um, that we wanted to talk about as well are skinwalkers. And a lot of people think that skinwalkers are werewolves or vice versa, but they're actually two very different things. They're not the same as a werewolf and Joey actually today when I said like oh you know Lauren was going to cover skinwalkers he's a, he said to me I I don't even know what that is I have no I'd never heard that before uh it's basically Native American I was legend say, I, I I I assumed correctly that it was steeped in Native American lore yes yeah. specifically Navajo yes right yeah uh, as opposed to being a man who's cursed to change into a wolf with a full moon and completely lose control of his mind and body, skinwalkers transform on purpose. And do you know the actual name for skinwalker? Like the Native American name? Yes. I looked I was, it up, but I, I was like, I don't know how to I pronounce was looking this. At, yeah, I was looking it up and I'm like, I'm going to terribly mispronounce Horribly. that. So I'm just going to use the word skinwalker. Like, Great. <laughs> I intentionally left it out. We have to get uh, yeah. one of those old like World War II wind talkers to yeah. come translate Seriously, because it it's like ye-na'al-douchey ye- yeah. or something yeah. like that. I, like, I doubt it's, it ends in douchey. There's a double O in there. There's a double and, O and a double I and a double. And I, I kept pronouncing it like a. douche too, and I was like, douche. I'm gonna skinwalker. And, yeah, yay, skin no, uh, yay, anahoye douchey. And uh, what they do is uh, they just go around the bar and hit on every woman there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what they do. That's exactly yeah, what they do. It. The modern day skinwalker is so disappointing. So so disappointing. so disappointing. Uh, Billy, what do you have on skinwalkers? Well, the skinwalker can transform. Whenever they, whenever they yeah, feel like it. Yeah, it doesn't have to wait for a and full the, moon. And the thing about the skinwalkers, they typically take wolf form. And it's not necessarily like a werewolf. They just turn into a wolf. Mm-hmm. Or a coyote. Yeah. Or I think it's because they're intimidating. Not necessarily because they like to take the form of animals that are more intimidating. Because there is also like you could owls and goats and stuff like that. But I think wolf is like the main yeah. kind of... I think that's where the connection comes with, like, werewolves. Yeah, and there's a lot of misconceptions and things that have been watered down outside of Navajo culture. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that comes back is you you have to kill a close family member to become a skinwalker. Oh, that's dark. Because it's, like, the most evil thing you can do. Yeah. It's, like, known as, like, the, the... the worst thing you could do, you have to like do to become a skinwalker. Further rituals about eating their flesh, but the first step is killing a close family mm-hmm. member. Because skinwalkers are actually basically like witch doctors, but like Native American witch doctors, so they're medicine men. And because Native Americans, in their culture, they must study dark arts 
because they need to know how to defeat dark arts when the time comes. And what happens is sometimes they go down a dark path. Sometimes they study this they and they the go, yeah, I fucking love this shit. And then they keep doing it. Yeah. And that is the type of person that will turn into a skinwalker. Interesting. They explored skinwalkers a little bit later on in True Blood, getting back to kind of pop culture. I don't know if I made it that far. Yeah, they did. Sam joins like a group, like a support group of shifters. Are you kidding? Yeah. he, he So he has, these, he has these like weekly meetings after he realizes he has this inner darkness. So he hey, finds I'm a group. Hey, I'm Sam. Uh, I'm a shapeshifter. <laughs> yeah. Hi, like, Sam. Yeah, Hi, they talk Sam. about kind of the, the bad things they did in their past. And it's like people who have the same issues you have. You can't share what you are with loved ones or potential loved ones. And one of the main characters on the show is a woman that he falls in love with who's Native American. And you find out that she's a skinwalker. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. And like she can she can shift into other animals as well. But she opens up to Sam about the fact that she's a skinwalker. And spoiler alert, she killed her mother. <gasps> yeah. Is she the one with the little girl? Yes. Oh, th- I made yeah. it that far. Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the in True Blood, if I if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, the thing that makes a skinwalker special in True Blood is they can turn into another person. Yes. Yeah. And that's part of the the Killing legend as one. well yeah. is that you can also I don't know if it's like you can become another person, but you can definitely uh, mask your face to look like another person's yeah. face. Interesting. So to trick people, basically, and. Um, the name for skinwalkers that we're not going to try and pronounce again literally translates to with it, he goes on all fours. So that that's kind of like a known thing about skinwalkers, especially when you see an animal that is wa- running on all fours and all of a sudden stands up on two legs and runs like that as well. That's immediately like, well, that's a fucking monster. That is a skinwalker. That is not an animal nor a man that is a creature. In Navajo legends, a skinwalker is, like I said, a medicine man or a witch, and they use their power for evil by taking on the form of an animal or another person to inflict pain and suffering. Basically, they try and drive you crazy. They, they'll knock on windows or they bang on walls. They stalk you. Supposedly, they smell awful like dead animals and rot. They are very seldom caught, and supposedly when you do track a skinwalker and learn who their true identity is, you have to say their full name out loud to kill it. It's not like you say their full name out loud and they burst into flames. You say their full name out loud and they get sick and eventually die. Like, their powers are drained from them, they get very ill, and they have to die for their sins, essentially. In Native American culture, this is actually kind of cool, they do not talk about skinwalkers. They don't even... Think about skinwalkers because it's the first apparently, rule of skinwalker club. Yes, is that you don't yeah. talk about skinwalker club. Apparently, talking and thinking about them draws them to you, so it's almost like very bad luck to even mention hmm. skinwalkers. Like I, I was reading a bunch of stories online of people who are Native American talking about like asking their family members, like, "What about skinwalkers?" And they're like, "Ancient <laughs> grandma being like, hey, nope, nope, uh, uh-uh. uh, we don't talk <laughs> about that here." Skinwalkers will make you sick. They will kill your livestock. They'll kill your pets. They do commit murder. They control people's minds sometimes, supposedly. They rob graves and in some cases are necrophiliacs because why not? Just throw that on there. Anything bad, they do it. They don't pay their taxes. 
They vote Republican. I'm just kidding. They download illegally. They download yeah. illegally. Skinwalkers. They can't separate their recyclables. Uh-uh. Yeah, they're the Gross. worst. You can usually tell the difference between a skinwalker and just a regular like coyote, owl, wolf, etc. because their eyes supposedly glow orange or red. I assume from everything I read, it was like the reflection of their eyes. You know how animals have like the reflective retinas? Yeah. It's red or orange instead of the usual like green or white. They will also alternate, like I said, from running on four legs to running on two. In a lot of cases, people have described them as having some human features, like a dog with a man-like face or even a wolf with the hands and feet of a human, which like to me just like makes me cringe thinking of like seeing a big dog with like human uh, hands. That's my nightmare tonight. No, thank you. And I actually found this fun theory. If you want to look at a skinwalker as like a cryptid, many people have done that as well. Uh, as opposed to like witches, they're just creatures who are misunderstood and they, they're kind of mischievous creatures and, and they've done enough that people have been like, has to be a witch. Corey Daniel of the Phoenix Enigma, which is like an online publication, he's an interpretive guide and a writer and researcher. And he has an interesting theory that I wanted to share. Um, basically, he looked at all of the skinwalker-rich areas of the United States, and they're all located in the same place. Uh, it's from Utah and south to the Grand Canyon and then east to New Mexico. Like, that's the only place in North America where there have been, like, documented skinwalker sightings. Like, for sure, it couldn't have been anything else but a skinwalker, according to the people that saw them. Obviously, it could be the cultural side of it, the stories extending throughout the tribe and to cousin tribes passed down generation to generation. But he basically said, like, what if it is geological? And, um, I mean, the Navajo are not the only people who witness these creatures. A lot of honkies witness these creatures as well. (laughs) A lot of Mormons. (laughs) A lot of Mormons witness them as well as not just Native Americans. So he actually said, what if they live in the Grand Canyon? Because the Grand Canyon is one of the only places on Earth that geologists can access the deepest available rock formations of the Earth's crust without even having to dig. Like, they barely have to do digging to, like, research some of, like, the deepest rocks that we've actually got from our Earth. Um, There's also a crosscut of over 750 million years of sandstone and limestone that opens up caves and allows springs to emerge along the walls as well so he's basically saying like what else could be in the caves like a lot of those caves in the grand canyon are some of like the least explored places still in the united states not in the world but in the united states the caves deep within the grand canyon we have not touched there are some of them so he's like what if there's some ancient species living in these caves that comes out and that's why they like surround it's almost like how the um venus fly traps are only in north carolina and they're within like a 300 foot radius of a crater caused by an asteroid it's like you can literally look at a map and see like how they all revolve around the grand canyon if you were to like draw it on a map maybe all of our push pins we'll do that after Um, and it should be noted that Skinwalker Ranch is located around this area. Which is not to be confused with Skywalker Ranch. No, 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 no. Two different things. Especially northern Utah has a very long history of strange and terrifying occurrences. 
we actually talk about that in an episode of Keep It Weird. I don't remember which episode. I'll try and look it up. And Corey Daniels actually spoke to a clinical psychiatrist that works in the western region of the Navajo Reservation who said that she takes the the legends very seriously. And this is kind of something that you and I talked about earlier. She said whether or not these creatures actually exist is completely irrelevant to the harm that they do to the psyches of the people that believe in them. She says 50% of her Navajo clients admit their problems could be attributed to a skinwalker. 50% of them. Half of her clients that are Navajo attribute their problems that they're having in their life to a skinwalker. So she says the belief is so widespread that it's a real problem in the mental health community. But it's sort of like voodoo or hoodoo and curses. They're only as powerful as the people's belief in them. So if you can convince someone they are cursed, they will be. Which is kind of what I was saying earlier about like the wolf man and like going to a place where the legend and the superstition is so deep that you start to believe it yourself And then that's when it becomes dangerous. And then my very last note of the day was when I was doing research on skinwalkers. I just wrote, if the Blair Witch Project didn't take place in Maryland, I would think that she was a skinwalker. Oh. Because she's a witch. Okay. She mimics the sounds of other people to scare or lure her prey. Remember the children noises and like yeah. Josh's screaming off in the distance. Like how do we know that wasn't just her making those noises and not Josh at all, especially since like we have a bag of his teeth. And the only person who claims to have seen her says she's covered head to toe in hair, like horse hair. What if the Blair Witch was a skinwalker? No, am I the oh, only no. one? No, 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 I'm with okay. you on it. It's very interesting. It's kind of merits a rewatch now yeah with that mindset just think yeah. like what if it was a yeah. maybe it's just a skinwalker who went on walkabout and wound up in maryland went on a walkabout will you just one more time what do your impression what a rougarou <laughs> <laughs> that one we talk about a rougarou right <laughs> yeah we go all kind of rougarou there like they do a little vandalism on the fan boats down there and uh <laughs> catch all the catfish <laughs> thank you you're welcome. That's all the time we have this week. <laughs> Keep it weird. Uh, thank you, Joey, for hanging out today. And thank My you pleasure. so much, Billy, for Billy. coming back on the show. Thank you for having me back. It's a blast. We love having you. I love being you. here. Yeah. <laughs> I love you being here. We've literally been talking about this since vampires. I think on the vampire episode, we were like, yeah. next time we should do werewolves, yeah, werewolves. And look at us now. And there are, Literally. in fact, plenty of emails that come in that clamor for more Billy. More Billy. I feel so loved. Thank you. You're a gentle, <laughs> gentle southern giant. <laughs> do you have anything to plug before we go? Do you want to plug an Instagram or do you have a project coming up or anything like that? Um, I started a, a portfolio, online portfolio for my art. Did you yeah, really? Yeah. It's a, I mean, I'm not pulling in the big artist buck, so it's a, it's a freebie. It's a Carbon Made. But yeah, you Whatever. just search me on Carbon Made, just Billy Roach Art. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. I'll p- I'll post a link to it yeah, so yeah. they can easily access it. And what's your Instagram handle? Uh, what is my Instagram handle? Billy. Just, I don't know. You're not a very good millennial. No. Well, I'm not a millennial, so. Oh, that's true. You're I not a I'm very good gen. An Xennial. Xennial. <laughs> I think is where I'm at. Uh. Why'd you make me say that? I believe makes you Gen Y. Is it Y? Okay. Are you Gen Y? Wow. 
We're learning a lot today. I would bleep that out, by the way. Thank you. No one's going to have to know. Did you bleep out my social security number too? Yes, I did. Oh, thank you. Beep, 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 boop, <laughs> beep, boop. So you guys follow um, Billy on social media. We will post his, I'll put like a robot voice that comes in that's like, at Billy Roach or whatever you're. I believe it's, I believe it's just the thing I use for a lot of stuff is just the Billy Roach. Ah. I was able to snag that pretty, pretty early on. The Billy Billy Roach. Roach, We'll see. We'll see what I can come up with. And also uh, follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast across all the platforms. If you want to donate to our show, you can check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. And if you want to buy some sweet merch, head over to www.etsy.com slash shop slash keepitweirdpodcast. And thank you all so much for listening and continuing to support our show as always. Billy, what's our sign off this week? Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> can you say Wolfman's got nards in your, uh, in your Cajun... And a man got nods. <laughs> <laughs> and now, uh, sometimes you gotta keep it weird. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Keep it weird, everybody. <laughs>